1: Hello again to another episode of the Future of Influence podcast, and we have a treat for you today. Help me welcome uh, Mr. Salvatore. He says he likes to go by Sal, so I'll let him introduce himself and tell you more about him. Sal, welcome to the podcast.
2: How are you? Thanks for having me, Raj. It's a pleasure and a privilege. I'm looking forward to this one, as
1: you know. Ah, it's, it's our pleasure and uh, we're just honored to have people like you. I believe that like minds uh, think alike and, and, and like to hang out together and we are the you know, people we associate with. We're the product of that. So um, just excited to have you on and go ahead and tell our listeners and viewers just a little bit more a high level of uh, what you do.
2: You know, it's a good question. Today I'm an author, um, but my day job is that I manage money into private assets, mostly private equity. And venture capital. And I run a smaller balance uh, life sciences venture capital fund and um, what we call a single family office in Las Vegas, which is basically just allocates into world-class assets with other families into, uh, you know, what we call statement assets where people Basically, very wealthy people brag about it on Instagram. So this could be anything like your friends behind your back saying that, hey, I know Raj, he owns part of the Celtics, you know, or I know Raj, he owns part of that office tower. So what we do is we allocate into world class statement assets for very discerning families who have a lot of wealth and a lot of and they're looking for something beyond just making money.
1: Excellent. And you are that bridge uh, to help them, I guess, not only uh, make it, but keep it as well and uh, have it grow for them for generations to come, help that generational wealth, right?
2: It's true because you got to think about it. There's so many shiny objects out there today. Everybody's a crypto bro. Everybody's flipping stocks. Everybody's doing something. But if you look at it at the margin, what they're really doing is speculating. They're not investing. They say they're investing. They wake up one morning, if they have losses, now all of a sudden they're Warren Buffett. They're holding for the long term. Or if they see someone flipping, now all of a sudden they think they're Stevie Cohen. Now they're a world-class, you know, hedge fund trader. People don't really know what they're doing in the in the world of investing. And I liken it much to going to the gym. And just because people have more zeros to their bank account doesn't necessarily mean that their life is any different. Just because you were a great soccer player in college doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to lose 60 pounds. You know, There's all sorts Mm -hmm. of different things that you do to achieve those goals. And I think a lot of times people are just cavalier about their money and they don't really know what they're doing with it until problems happen. And starting my career in distressed commercial real estate, I can tell you that you learn more about a business and people's motivations when you're cleaning up the pieces than when you're assembling them together, actually purchasing the property. And I've seen this happen over and over again, regardless of where you are in the world, everybody has emotional drivers. And that's what I talk about actually in my latest book, Investing Legacy, How the .001% Invest.
1: Excellent. zero zero one percent. Very yeah. nice. And, uh, you know, this brings me to ask you a question. Just like, how did you get into, into this field doing what you're doing now where you said, all right, this is what you want to do um, as your main business and do day to day? I mean, I, I'm assuming it had something to do with the, uh, when you were in distressed uh, commercial uh, real estate and so forth. and going Well,
2: that I, that, it started before that because I was actually a biology and chemistry major in college. I was looking to go to medical school. And this was back in 97, 96. We're going way back, right? Way back. Um, And during 1996, I had uh, a bunch of my father's friends who were his cronies, who were doctors. And they said, you know what? This might not be the path that you want to pursue. And during this point, I had already had to commit to, if I wanted to finish in four years in New York City at the university I was with, that I was attending, Fordham it would have been 20 credits and then 24 credits respectively. So while everybody was outside playing Frisbee, I was studying and getting work done, but I was also paying a lot of attention to the internship that I had between summers. And it was the work that I did for that surgeon in New York City that really catapulted me and put me into a different direction. Um, It was his brother who actually wound up working at a firm that I wound up interviewing at and a little later wound up getting a job at. And that's how my career started being in New York City, starting from New York and, and, and using that
1: network to really grow. Okay, great, great. What do you think about, as far as in the industry you're in doing that and, and dealing with the 0.001%, um, what's the most outdated advice you feel in the industry that's given out by other people? Yeah, I think, I, I think I, you
2: know, today, I mean, that's a loaded question. And I think, you know, it's a very, and I'm going to give it to you straight. I think everybody, there's this tremendous lie called liquidity. And it's a myth that everybody needs liquidity. And if you don't have liquidity, then you're going to die. It's sort of like oxygen. Everybody needs it. The only people who need it are the middle class because they've been programmed to think that way because they really don't have the, the discipline to really do anything else. And I've seen this before with doctors and dentists where they'll say, well, yeah, we, you know, we love these investments. We love going into it. By the way, I just bought a brand new tesla look at it on facebook the certainty of him getting the dopamine hits and the accolades on facebook pales in comparison to anything that he would invest into for a longer term such as real estate because he just isn't emotionally involved for it and people who are point part of the point zero zero one percent they have a lot of operating companies that throw off a lot of cash or they've had exits so they're looking to leverage that cash appropriately not just to make a lot of money, but also so they don't make a fool of themselves. And just because you are a tech entrepreneur and sold a company or perhaps a life sciences or biotech company for a billion dollars doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the next great merchant developer uh, in Austin, Texas.
1: Well, I agree with that. Um, I like to leverage everything I can, you know, whether it's uh, vehicles or or, or real estate or or, or private jets, whatever it is that I have access to or or connections with people, my Rolodex, you know, I just want to leverage everything and not just hold on to it. I mean, uh, so many people I see, too, that have more of that methodical personality where they like uh, they 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 brag about their great credit score, but yet they've never done anything with it. So what's the point? Right. What's the point of having? I mean, they're just they're
2: it? just saps <laughs> that, you know, they, that my <laughs> makes fees off of so they can tell everybody they got great credit. But who cares? Right. Exactly. Because if you lose your job tomorrow, guess what happens next? Your credit. Correct so when you look at like using different assets there's there are I, I will tell you frankly there are biotech companies that we've invested into in Boston that have name brand families sitting on the board and investors mm-hmm. that name brand is much more important to people at that level than an 850 FICO score because Dave Ramsey tells you this or you know heaven yeah. forbid it should go below 800 something's wrong in your life that To me, it's kind of manipulative thinking from the financial services industry, but I'm just one guy.
1: Well, well, speaking about that, how do you feel about trends when it comes to um, like I remember a few years ago at the um, annual Berkshire Hathaway uh, annual shareholders uh, meeting and Warren Buffett said um, when I was there in in, uh, Omaha that uh, um, he missed the whole dot com era. Uh, from investing in that because it was too new for him he stayed in his lane did what he knew you know would work he's still today one of the richest men in the world but he admitted that he missed that whole wave um, but he still did you know did fine anyway so how do you feel about you know all these new trends whether it's crypto or, or something else you know the cannabis industry or anything like that do you do you recommend like having a piece of the portfolio to that anyway or just stay away from it or definitely bet on it
2: you know, it's interesting. There, There's always going to be trends, but the trends that you see in the market are, are trends that are emerging for what we call retail investors. So I was working on Wall Street, and there was a lot of underwriting going on during the go-go 90s when companies like eBay were going public. And it was interesting. These these companies would go public with 6 million shares, but at the end of the day, they would have traded 36 million shares. So that means each share had traded hand six times on the first day of trading. So what Warren Buffett, without speaking for him, probably doesn't like, because I was at his meeting in 2004 with a former partner and friend of mine, is he's looking at the value. Okay, Value investing is at a discount to whatever he values that company to be. And there's many different metrics that good old Warren uses to do that. But what he doesn't like is on the speculative side where you see a lot of these IPOs. If it's a business he doesn't understand, I'm sure, if it doesn't have any revenue then how are you going to value it? I remember Jim Cramer in 2001 saying, you don't have to worry about PE ratios because there's no E. And that's something I think that when you look at a hardened investor, hardened value investor like Warren Buffett, he's not going to really adapt to it well. However, the people who did adapt to it well were the middle class and they were plowing their savings into it. Like it was you know the, the safest bet in the world. People were, there were actually Wall Street Journal articles written about a barber buying PMC Sierra, who had no idea what the company was doing, but because it quadrupled, he had put all his life savings into it and profiled the losses afterwards of it. So the, the the professional investors like Warren invest much differently and, and they do different things and they invest in different uh, layers of the capital structure than your uh, retail investor who's buying mostly common stock in an IPO who really has no control over it. Um, or, or, you know, they weren't, they no, they really have no control over the basis because they lost that control over, you know, when the company went public. So sometimes they get squished. Sometimes they make a lot of money. And with the advent of pre IPO companies and all this, it's, Now you have to add on the fees because if you're getting access to this stuff, you're probably going to pay a lot of fees. And that, of course, increases your basis. So it's interesting to see this whole evolution of how you have all these new products come out for new people Mm -hmm. to, to, to trade. And the latest thing, I think, is the whole fractionalization of this. You have all these, you know, company shares, you can buy a share of Amazon now, right? One tenth of a share instead of buying the whole share if you can. It's sort of like buying the baby Berkshires to your point, rather than buying the class A shares, they offered the baby yeah. Berkshires. So, you know, what happens is, is that that's a great way for the middle class to pay more fees to get involved in these assets that sometimes I feel is are speculative at
1: best. That's a great point. What do you see your clients uh, just spending or wasting money, time, resources on um, in your experience? What do you think the is person a who has
2: hundred, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. The person who has a hundred, $400 million net worth, they're not looking to double that. They're looking to impart their legacy onto the world, whatever that looks like. And today that's uh, under the banner of what we call impact. So whatever you invest in today, what is the impact that that's going to have later on? For example, everybody should have an impact statement. What are you investing into? What don't you like? If you're into uh, life sciences, then, then say it. If you're not into guns, then say that too. Otherwise, you could invest in the like next Smith and & Wesson and lose your credibility. But you need to be directed as to what it is and how you want your impact to be basically part of your identity. that that the rest of the world sees. And to do that, you need to look back at what the epitaph says first. So these guys are looking to put together partnerships, to put their capital together. And the capital is only really, if you think about it, like an arrow. And the capital is the hammer behind it, but the arrow is the intent. These people are looking to make sure that they make the biggest possible impact in the shortest period of time. Great example of this, Jeff Bezos, okay, Jeff Bezos is going, he built his own spaceship. Same thing with Richard Branson, same thing with Elon Musk. These are the guys who uh, are looking to create an impact. You will never forget Jeff Bezos for the rest of your life, and neither will your kids or your grandkids. And that's what these guys are looking to do. Not by being famous for the wrong reasons or influencers, uh, but rather by making a very substantial uh, contribution in the form of a stake in the ground. And I talk about that too in the book.
1: All right, Sal, so we mentioned all these, you know, potentially negative um, things about the industry and so forth, but, and challenges, but what is your solution? Like what makes you and your company, what you do for your clients different from, you know, the other people out there doing similar type of things?
2: You know, it's one, it comes down to something, and that's a great question. It comes down to alignment of interest. And I think today when people are looking at a lot of investments, whether it's from masterworks or anything fractionalized, you have to say, is this really an investment where other investors that are involved in it really have the best interest of me being a long-term investor or not? And when you look at the alignment of interest and see who it is that you're actually investing alongside of, I think that shows a tremendous amount of confidence in the in, in the, how the investment will perform over the long term. Too many times today, people are too speculative. So you got to use sort of strategies to figure out, hey, if I'm interested in investing into venture capital, for example, or private equity, because that's really where all the value is, I feel right now. And what my partner calls private you know, company arbitrage. Um, and we invest in companies for that reason. Then you're going to find that there's going to be a lot more opportunities, but there's going to be a lot more risks. And in order to sort of deflect those risks or sort of structure those risks away what you want to do is you want to make sure that your interests are always aligned with other investors and that somebody who's showing you the deal isn't necessarily making a fee but they're also investing into it as well we call that skin in the game mm,
1: very good point yes i know early in my investing career as well yeah there were people that were just uh broken deals out but never a part of it in actuality and those always seem to you know be the ones that didn't do so good so yeah there's a direct correlation between that so i'm glad you mentioned that um you know before we recently met to you guys listening right now and um i realized right away that sal is a very sharp guy he has a sharp suit on you know every here is in in place he's in a in a great studio just uh with us recording this now, but he seems like just a a cool down-to-earth guy. (laughs) We're from the same place, you know, East Coast, New York City area. Um, What what do you do when you're not working, like outside of business? What do you do for fun? What are some some of your hobbies so we get to know you?
2: You know, I really miss my boat. I miss it. And I haven't used it for two years because I've been too busy, of course, with the pandemic, writing a book and and, and building the foundation for an investment company. And Mm -hmm. what I'd like to do is go back into boating soon. I would really love to go into that because it's just fun being on the water. I like entertaining people. I'm not really a car guy. You know, I like, you know, I like, you know, being out on the water and having a good time with friends and stuff. So that's what I really miss doing is navigating a boat and captaining a boat. That's quite honestly, that'll make me happy. I could drive a Toyota Prius all day, but if I know that I'm going to a boat, I'm you know, a nice boat. That's all that matters to me. So
1: Okay, so that's what you miss because you haven't done it for two years. What have yeah. you done to try to replace that feeling you know, in the last two years? I, and you know more? what I've
2: done? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've lost about 20 pounds because I've been landlocked in the desert here in our tax-free oasis. And I just started <laughs> working with trainers. And in, in Las Vegas, you can either do one of two things. You either drink and party a lot or you just work out. And I chose to work out rather than gain you know, any more weight. And so that's really helped a lot, and I transitioned that into like a hobby. But I think it's the way I approach it. It's just something I look forward to doing. It's just a mental, you know, switch that I use. That yeah, I'm really looking forward to going to the gym today. And um, you know, other than that, like there's a lot of what I really like doing on the weekends is uh, in in Las Vegas. Is it's starting now, but I love live music, and so you can see any show. And sometimes we'll see two shows a weekend. Sometimes I'll see you know, one show a weekend, but when the bands start coming, I love going to all those live concerts and shows. It's just amazing. I've seen Hall and Oates. We've seen Phil Collins in a wheelchair with his I'm not dead yet tour. We've seen, you know, a lot of things, my friends and I over the years, and it's really great. Not to mention the culture and the food in Vegas is just amazing. And anywhere I go for that matter, I just love going out to hole in the wall restaurants. Same thing all right. up in New York, right? What we talked about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We got it out of you. Now we know what he likes to do.
2: Now nah, you know what I like to do. <laughs> yep, that's how I get live, down.
1: Live music, I, I feel you on that one. Um, I, I'm a lead it's singer. Just uh, it's just amazing.
2: It's just amazing. And that, and you know, coming from New York, you can't, you know, if you growing up, okay, I'm going to say you and I are probably the same age. You could not get tickets to a, a, a you know, a top headliner uh, on Ticketmaster. You'd have to like call 50 million times on a rotary phone to get the tickets just to see something like U2 or whatever. Oh yeah. Today, you can buy the tickets quickly. And in in, in Las Vegas, all these bands come through and it's almost like, you know, it's it's very easy. It's almost like parking in front of the arena, how easy it is sometimes to get tickets to these shows. So that's something that I don't take for granted here in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, I love live shows as well, especially the interactive types where they're doing oh, the improv yeah. on the moment. I sing in a Caribbean band as well as a lead singer for the last uh wow, over a decade now since I left Corporate America. And oh, wow. uh, we go on we go on tour quite a bit internationally and I do a lot of stage interactions, thousands of people, all that good stuff and um, yeah. you know, with the pandemic it, it, it slowed down definitely because places weren't having live events anymore, but this weekend I'll be performing in Florida so looking forward to that. Oh right. Uh, but it's it, it's a great feeling. But I have a question for you about the you know, losing, you're the front almost, man, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hype up the crowd. and <laughs> You're like the uh, David Lee Roth that's just well, you know, well, running around. Well, it's it's very. The samurai wild kicks. For me. <laughs> 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 What's wild about it for me when I'm on stage with a band or when I'm even doing public speaking and so forth is because I'm a technical computer science geek. That's my degree. And for me to now be on stage using a different hemisphere of my brain and uh, the creative side, entertaining, it's just really wild. So it's a lot of fun. Um, But you mentioned, you know, a great feat. Congratulations to you for um, losing almost 20 pounds. Uh, I guess that meant a whole new change of wardrobe. But I'm curious about psychologically, did you see any change? How has it affected you, knowing that you have the discipline now to to exercise every way you do and every day do more than you've been doing you know before and losing all that weight, seeing the results? how has that affected you just in uh your work like in your business your, your just what you do as a leader your your self discipline I'll tell so you far.
2: what it's done it it's that it's forced me to actually you know actually look at what I eat, which is important, mm-hmm. but it, it's given me a tremendous amount of energy, which is what I need for this business because I'm, I'm basically the fixer for a lot of people and you have to have a lot of energy to do that. It's, you can't run around, hangover all day, you know, trying to take care of problems for these types of people. So the energy that you get from working out and the discipline from it really makes you sort of, it. it sort of closes the gap between being sad and depressed about how you feel to going out in the world, being a little feeling a little better, knowing because you've gotten some hard things out of the way in the morning, and just mm. by following along with Instagram memes and things, I was able to do things. But it be- became a hobby to me. It became interesting to me, much like anything else would be an interest to you, like crypto or something like that. Yes, it just turned yes. it into something that I wanted to learn.
1: Well, there you go. Exactly what I was looking for. You know what, Sal? Let's say someone listening right now. And they say, hey, you know, I want Sal maybe to fix me or not fix me, but update me to a better version. Just tweak me up a little bit of what I'm doing with with, uh, wealth management and so forth. Uh, You know, how should they go about contacting you, getting to know more info, taking that next step to work with you?
2: You know, I put together a 10 mistakes report that has probably about two billion dollars worth of research and development into it because of all the wealth that was lost during the 2008 crisis. And that is made available by going to investinglegacy.com forward slash gift. That's investinglegacy.com forward slash gift. And the fun part about this, and I'll tell you what all the readers come back to. They're like, hey, I know at least five families that, you know, f- you know, fell apart because of number two, or this guy reminds me of my brother-in-law, number 10, or something like that. It's really funny, but you know, in the end, it's you know, you're learning from other people's mistakes and it's the stories that, you know, afterwards that sell. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that people understand if you are following these rules or if you're, if you're going down this path, then these are the mistakes you're going to make that could harm just not you, but your next gens and your legacies. And that's what really a lot of wealthy people worry about today is making sure in an uncertain world that they have something sustainable for them and their heirs to come.
1: Excellent. I like it. So top 10 mistakes that prevent you from building an investing legacy. Yeah, Go to investinglegacy.com slash gift and get more info from Sal. And once you sign up for that uh, report that he has been so generous to give us, then you can go ahead and uh, find information on contacting him directly. Is that right, Sal?
2: That's correct. Yep. That's where you go. Investinglegacy.com forward slash gift. And that's the report. All right.
1: Excellent. Well,
2: I wrote it know, myself. So it's fun. It, it, it's going to, you know, it's entertaining. It's not going to be boring. It's not something that somebody put in an institution together. I wrote it myself, so
1: you'll enjoy it. Great. And that is how it's separated from all the other reports you have <laughs> read on the subject where this one is not boring, has his personality into it, which we love. So that it's, it's been great having you on our show. Thanks again on the Thank future you. Of episode's podcast. You heard it from Sal himself. Sign up for his free reports, and we'll see you on another episode of the Future of Influence podcast. Take care.
2: Take care, Raj. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Future of Influence podcast. If you're interested in sharing your story by being a guest on our show, please visit Mm -hmm. visit Mm -hmm. https colon slash slash com slash podcast slash apply. To apply and if you liked what you heard please also visit and follow us on all social media please subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast once again they call me king raj singh and thanks again for listening to the future of influence podcast tune in next time